Welcome to the Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten, and I'm thrilled today to have Dr. Yoon Garrison with us. Dr. Garrison is an early career psychologist, assistant professor at Bates College, and associate counselor at Psychology Specialists of Maine. As a professor, she studies multicultural psychology and liberation-based counseling and research approaches. Additionally, she has frequently spoken about and educated students regarding the importance of liberation psychology, which happens to be the focus of today's episode. Yoon, thank you so much for being with us here today and welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting Sam. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. It's such an honor and I feel so humbled to actually have you here today. Um, I know we've been talking about having you on for a little while now, and I've been very, very excited to have this conversation today because I think it's really important that we start talking about what this language is. It's starting to come out more and more in APA literature and even a little bit within the National Register. And I think it's important for us to examine what is this language and what is changing within our field. You know, when I think about even my own education in graduate school, I, I entered in graduate school in 2012. And within that counseling psychology program, I often felt challenged around my identities, some of my assumptions that I was carrying in and perspectives. And I needed that challenge. Trust me, I was saying things and doing things and I felt ignorant, you know, and, and to some extent I was, and I needed that challenge. The key term that I always remember in that time was social justice. And it seemed to be this like catch-all term, at least that that was my takeaway for, you know, creating change and affecting change and advocating for minoritized populations in particular. But later in my training, I started to notice this shift in language that social justice wasn't the, the it term anymore liberation psychology started to come up more and more in conversations at APA division meetings or even in literature that I was reading. And so this is why I'm really, really excited to have you on you because I wanna have a better understanding of what liberation psychology is and, and how it's similar or maybe even dissimilar from the idea of social justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, well, liberation psychology is a framework to understand and address oppression among individuals and communities and its impact on human suffering. And it is also a thinking and action tool that enables us to move toward justice and liberate, uh, liberate from oppression and suffering. So the founder of liberation psychology, Martin Barrow, who was actually a social psychologist and priest, that liberation psychology is the freeing of the mind from the psychological bondage of oppression. So Sam, you mentioned that you know, in your grad school, you were constantly challenged about your identity and assumptions and biases. And what are you gonna do with that? So liberation psychology really, really emphasizes actions in addition to critical reflection. And they're not separated. Thinking and acting are not separate. So that's one of the key concepts in liberation psychology. Um, and liberation psychology may be similar to the idea of social justice-based psychology in that 
both recognize the import, uh, impact that the unjust system and cultural dominance have on individuals and communities with marginalized history and identities. In both social justice and liberation psychology approaches, our uh, psychologist's understanding of cultural diversity, our awareness of power, privilege, oppression, and our role as an advocate are really important. Um, I would say liberation psychology is not entirely dissimilar from social justice and the idea of social justice-based practice. Instead, liberation psychology may be an extension of multicultural psychology with a strong emphasis on social political context, the status quo and systemic change. Um, multicultural psychology is a very broad area and I think it's not just one approach and I think it's a spectrum so some multicultural uh, approaches may talk about um, cultural differences, for instance, East Asian people and American people, without really addressing power dynamic and history. And some multicultural approach may talk about uh, power and historical and uh, social political issues that are really similar to liberation psychology. Um, and one key concept in liberation psychology is uh, uh, critical consciousness action and activist stand. These are some key highlights in liberation psychology. You know, as you begin to talk about it, there are some parts that are, are you know, pretty understandable. And then there are some parts that, that sound like a, like a deeply held philosophical belief. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to know more about the history. Like, where does this come from? Where, what inspired this movement towards mm -hmm. liberation psychology? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer this question based on two sources of information. Um, the first source, which is also important in liberation psychology, our lived experiences. Um, so our own experience as a psychologist. So think about a time when your client worked with you about how to cope with racial microaggression. So you validated your client's experiences and provided all the effective tools to cope with. While this is very meaningful work, this, our work just touches upon the symptoms of oppression, not the cause of oppression. Right. So there has been growing awareness of this issue among psychologists and community members who really, really need a liberatory service, which accelerated the movement toward the liberation psychology so that the cause of oppression can be better addressed. Um, so liberation psychology has a strong emphasis on critically evaluating um, psychological concepts and methods and developing uh, theories and methods from the perspective of the oppressed. So another source of information is historical accounts. So from a more historical context, the origin of liberation psychology is related to the work by Brazilian critical pedagogy scholar Freire and the work by Martin Barrow in El Salvador, Latin American context. So mm -hmm. the foundation of liberation psychology has been um, related to Latin American context and these two uh, individuals work um, when it comes to defining and developing liberation psychology. However, it, it, this doesn't mean that liberation psychology is just, just about or all about Latin American phenomena. For instance, W.E.B. Du Bois liberation theology, Black theology, Black psychology, community psychology, um, participatory action research, indigenous scholarship, and other scholars in other continents also had similar thoughts and practice about addressing oppression uh, and ways in which 
to eradicate uh, social injustice in communities in which they live. I'm gonna, because what you said, there's, there's so much here to, to take on, you know, I'm gonna oversimplify it at, at the risk of oversimplifying it because mm -hmm. I wanna kind of get at one bit of that and, mm -hmm. and follow up with you. It almost feels, especially as you talk about maybe um, roots in Latin America around the, the early introduction of, of this philosophy or the language around it or terms and key terms, I'm sort of wondering if part of what inspired this philosophy and this approach is around colonization and mm -hmm. the oppression of people that it was associated with native or indigenous populations feeling mm -hmm. oppressed and being oppressed by mm -hmm. um, colonizers. Or you know, I, I guess I'm kind of curious how those early authors were contextualizing this mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's an excellent point. Um, you know, the dominant psychology, you know, theories and methods did, was, were not, had not been really relevant to the lived experience of the oppressed people, mm -hmm. those who are uh, excluded in, you know, history. Mm -hmm. So these, uh, Ferrari and Martin Barrow, really paid attention to these people's lived experiences. Uh, so one of the liberation psychology really emphasizes reorienting psychology because mm -hmm. of that, because mm -hmm. of the Western dominant uh, psychology framework didn't do anything for these uh, individuals and communities lived experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we start to incorporate more of this language in what we do, mm -hmm. and we'll get to hopefully in our conversation today, we'll get to more of that, but I guess I want to have a, a framework for the two of us and even listeners of the mm -hmm. podcast about what we're working towards. Mm -hmm. If we embrace more of this language around liberation psychology and the mm -hmm. movement of thinking mm -hmm. and acting differently, mm -hmm. what does the world look like? What, what are mm -hmm. we working towards? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things. Um, like I just mentioned, reorienting psychology is actively happening right now. Um, you know, psychology is a really meaningful tool, but it can be a tool that actually not serving, you know, communities who need, you know, service and liberatory, you know, practice. So reorienting psychology, so that psychology can be really relevant to the experiences, lived experiences of those who experience oppression, discrimination, hate, poverty, and violence, and honoring their ways of knowing. Um, as a way to document uh, and serve their need. Mm -hmm. And this requires a historical analysis um, of what brought these structural problems related to discrimination, poverty, and hate and violence, um, um, and recovering historical memory to be able to envision a life and future mm -hmm. with justice and liberation. Um, so reorienting psychology and also recovering historical memory itself can be very transformative and healing because real history is a path to freedom and healing, mm. according to many uh, liberation psychologists. Mm. Uh, because like you mentioned earlier, a lot of oppressed communities history had been written from the perspectives of the colonizers. Mm -hmm. So many of us are working toward documenting the real history written by people who experience oppression, decolonizing classroom, decolonizing therapy practice, decolonizing research methods and developing community-based healing 
space to um, co-create safety and collective power to resist oppressive system and change the system instead of focusing on individual individual healing and individual therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, as you talk about where action might occur and how change might happen, I'm imagining that there are possibilities for change inside the office, like mm -hmm. the clinical space that we often go to, mm -hmm. uh, the, the four walls that we do therapy work, that traditional quote unquote therapy work. Mm -hmm. But then I'm also imagining that there's space outside of that therapy office. Mm -hmm. Because as you talk today, Yuna, I can't help but think part of it seems to be intended to reach the things that oppress or mm -hmm. impact our psychological well-being well before anybody reaches our office. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if we might start in the office. What does a liberation psychology approach look like from within the office? What mm -hmm. would my clinical practice look like mm -hmm. if I had that theoretical orientation mm -hmm. or that philosophy at my, mm -hmm. at my disposal, if you will? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what liberation psychology looks like in therapy, um, a lot of flexibility and creativity and also um, really challenging the dominant therapy modality. Um, so for instance, diagnosis, you know, um, diagnosis is usually about what is really going on and how clients is suffering from pain and distress. So in our current uh, practice, um, diagnosis is really related to medicalized system. So many of the many of the current diagnostic uh, models are based on medicalized model, meaning symptom focused, not a person or context focused. So, for instance, when we discuss um, clients post traumatic stress disorder (PTSD), we review various symptoms and how they manifest. Mm -hmm, right, from, right. A, mm -hmm, from a liberation psychology perspective, oppression itself is inherently traumatic, but mm -hmm. the current diagnostic system does not really recognize and consider uh, this type of historical, cultural, socioeconomic, um, and geopolitical context and cause of oppression. So this leaves issues that people who need healing and treatment may not be able to access and utilize service, even though they are suffering from oppressive conditions. And as a result, mm -hmm. psychological, social, and uh, physical pain. Um, so in therapy, we address a lot of the cause of oppression. Um, and also clients may not have a certain diagnostic label um, that, does not that does accurately capture the nature uh, true and full experiences with suffering and oppression based on the current diagnostic and conceptualization tools. So liberation psychology, uh, according to Dr. Tema, who is also doing lots of liberation psychology work, um, according to her, liberation psychology is more accurate in terms of understanding clients' full and true uh, pain and experiences. Recently, the psychological framework of radical healing in communities of color was introduced, which is informed by liberation psychology and other critical uh, approaches such as uh, Black psychology. In the psychological framework of radical healing, the target change is multi-systemic and collective healing. And 
what I mean by radical healing, it involves a dialectical synthesis. So on one hand, interlocking systems of oppression and hate, and on the other hand, people are also capable of envisioning justice and liberation. So sometimes multiculturally trained therapists look at only one side, for instance, focusing on oppression that client experiences. While this can be very validating, it could overlook the client's power to resist and change. And on the other hand, psychologists may focus solely on empowering and encouraging clients to be positive about their reality while dismissing or minimizing the suffering stemming from oppression. So radical healing is a concept that allows psychologists and clients to hold oppression and liberation at the same time to understand the full experience and potential the clients and com their communities have. So these have a five change mechanism that involves um, increasing critical uh, consciousness and cultural authenticity and self-knowledge and clients strength and resistance and clients emotional and social support and radical hope collectively. So these change can occur in community rather than one-on-one -on -one traditional individual service uh, setting. So in liberation psych uh, psychotherapy setting, uh, creating opportunity to address these five elements um, collectively. And what it looks like in therapy room, another thing that I wanna add is uh, psycho-spirituality is incredibly important, uh, such as a connection to ancestral and spiritual relation in healing. Uh, but the current, um, um, therapy and diagnosis then do not really reflect these aspects. So when I work with my clients, uh, we talk about who they really are and who their ancestors were and making a deeper connection so that they can inform their future behaviors and also gaining a lot of um, energy and power based on that um, spiritual connection as well. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the last thing I want to add is, uh, again, Community-based healing is key uh, element of liberation psychology um, practice. So creating community, collective healing space and communal um, um, programs so that individual struggle is not the focal point, mm -hmm. but as a community, um, people hear and support each other and witness each other's pain and envision uh, justice and liberation together to move toward an actual action and challenging the system as well. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I'm going to ask either of us to take a stand or a position on what, what is best or good, but mm -hmm. I wonder if there is a tension sometimes mm -hmm. within the field of liberation psychology and more manualized approaches mm. to treatment or okay. session limits or any number of things, even you know, the, the financial limitations uh, mm -hmm. that someone might have. Are there tensions there? Because mm -hmm. I'm just envisioning that this, this work, it is deeply meaningful. Mm -hmm. And for it to also be deeply meaningful, mm -hmm. my guess is it takes time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think. Um, manualized practice has its own value and its own uh, positive, you know, effect on clients' uh, recovery and healing and growth. Uh, but liberation psychology is something bigger than that. 
mm. you know, um, uh, objectivity or standardized treatment may not be the most effective method in liberation psychology practice. Um, and also clients tend to be harmed by the rigid um, limit sessions or um, fee structure or reimbursement structure. Um, Emmanualized treatment does not really get at their historical and social political context. So it's inevitable and it's necessary for psychologists actually to be more flexible with their approach and go with clients' stories um, and really uh, stand alongside client instead of you know, sitting next to the manual. I value mm. manual as well, uh, but it can be limiting if that's the only way of mm. um, uh, working with clients. Sometimes when I'm doing the podcast, I kind of bring in my inner critic voice, okay? So mm -hmm. watch out for it. But my like mm -hmm. inner critic voice Yun, kind of says, but I work at a place where that's what's expected of me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. I can't just pick and choose what, what I do or how much mm -hmm. time we have. I'm working with what, what, what I'm given, you know, mm -hmm. and the resources are limited. And mm -hmm. if I serve one person longer than another person, that means I can't see another person who could mm -hmm. be in need of help too. And mm -hmm. so it, it brings me actually to, to mm -hmm. thinking about that other part of what I'm hearing you talk about in mm -hmm. regards to liberation psychology, which is mm -hmm. the importance of working outside the office mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what that work looks like for health service psychologists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's an excellent question. Personally and professionally, I think that's the most important question um, for me to hear and answer. Um, like I mentioned earlier, critical consciousness is a key concept in liberation psychology. And actually, critical consciousness um, is actually not a noun, but it's actually a, an action word, a, a mm. verb and in its original language. It means it requires critical reflection and action and movement. So our body needs to move to make change happen. So there are active dialogues and suggestions about how, psych how psychologists can work outside the office. The most important thing to remember is um, we accompany others in mutual healing and liberation journey. Uh, and a lot of liberation psychotherapists and psychologists and participatory action researchers often cite this quote, if you have come to help us, please go away. But mm -hmm. if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, let us work together. So this idea is really important when it comes to working outside the office. Um, so some of the themes that I noticed over the um, past is that psychologists need to work from a grassroots community-oriented paradigm and work with people and communities, not work on or work for people. So this is a key concept. And there's a key um, uh, keyword in liberation psychology called accompaniamiento, meaning walking together, accompanying. This means walking with people instead of leading or following. So psychologists stand alongside the people who actually need listening, witnessing, advocacy, and critical thinking. I believe this has a literal implication. So walk and talk with people and develop genuine relationships with them. Spend your time and emotional energy in your lear learning about communities 
and getting involved in your own neighborhood and local communities. Um, the next thing I have been noticing is uh, finding opportunities for joining collective power and increasing collective actions through community engagements, such as local councils and community organizations. Uh, there, there might be numerous ways, um, but these are some themes that I have noticed in terms of how we can work outside the office. Just in reflection of that, I'm thinking if we were to see a more liberation psychology approach, mm -hmm. then we probably would see more psychologists in the public domain, mm -hmm. standing with communities mm -hmm. and affecting change on multiple power structures within our society, mm -hmm. not just within the office and not even if I'm hearing you correctly, not even just within the organizations that they work in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. I want to turn now to looking at the domain of research, mm -hmm. specifically examining what studies and research uh, tend to publish or focus on in our mm -hmm. field of psychology, mm -hmm. and perhaps who gets published too. Mm -hmm. My understanding yeah. is that liberation psychology challenges academics' perceptions regarding objectivity and neutrality in research. And maybe we've even heard a little bit of that taste as you've been talking today, you know, mm -hmm. about what the theoretical orientation and treatment approaches could look like. Mm -hmm. But how does liberation psychology examine past research and publications that maybe didn't have that lens? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, to answer your question, I... It may be helpful for us to think about this question, uh, who benefit from neutrality and objectivity in research? This is a big question. Um, well, earlier on, I mentioned that um, liberation psychology works toward reorienting psychology from Western dominated uh, perspective to liberatory perspective. Uh, this requires us to look inward and in how our research communities may uphold the status quo by excluding or devaluing the work that non-traditional scholars and activist scholars do and the work that community needs. So working, community, working with community um, is vastly different from working in a lab. Uh, in real world, there is not much you can control and manipulate. So and, uh, collaboration processes tend to be very, very iterative, non-linear and long-term. So if we only value um, neutrality and objectivity, the real world, the real experience, and the real history of people will never be told. And the system will continuously push these people to the margin, including you know, researchers who hold marginalized identities. Um, and also new ideas and multiple ways of knowing uh, are, have not been welcomed in traditional research community. Um, my own example, I remember that when I was in my doctoral program, I had a both um, unconscious and conscious pressure to assimilate to the dominant norm in academia. And unfortunately, at that time, I had a pressure to erase my cultural authenticity, such as my ethnic accent in my spoken and written English, and hide my knowledge about my culture and history. So as an example, as a Korean immigrant, when I was working on a project related to Korean and people in Korea, I immediately thought that using Korean word and concept in my writing would not be a good idea. And then mm -hmm. it would be screened out and screened out by editors and reviewers 
and probably negative crit negatively criticized by them. Mm -hmm. At that time, my advisor told me, why don't you just use Korean concept and word in your writing and title? And I was very surprised by the advice, but because of liberation psychology perspective, I was able to critically reflect on my own hesitation and fear and surprise mm -hmm. and think about where power lies and how it impacts my thinking and actions. So I ended up using Korean words as keyword in my writing at the time. And later I also learned that uh, Mark Inbaro wrote his work in uh, Spanish as an wow. act of resistance wow. and uh, subversion against the repression of uh, non-English language in academia. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm hearing it correctly, Yoon, it, it sounds like it would be a couple pieces, a couple of things would change at least. Mm -hmm. perhaps some of the voices that we hear and see published, but also the voices therein and the mm -hmm. language that's used. Mm -hmm. You know, because I often think, wow, in, in much of the writing that I've, I've seen, people probably wouldn't think twice to use a French phrase or key term. Mm -hmm. And that might be seen as elevating the speech. And what I'm hearing is that there was a great deal of doubt of like, you know, could you use Korean mm -hmm. and would that help or hinder mm -hmm. the publication mm -hmm. process? Mm -hmm. It's a powerful example. And I so mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. I think it gives me a greater awareness too of, of what language we police or say is okay and how that then impacts what we then read and trust is, you know, uh, research or research-based or evidence-based because we're only seeing a small snippet mm -hmm. of what is out there. Uh, mm -hmm. So I greatly appreciate you bringing in that example too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing that I want to add is um, traditional peer-reviewed publication may not necessarily be the only outcome of liberation psychology research. So research in liberation psychology should benefit people who experience oppression and who need the knowledge to envision justice and liberation and work toward them. So researchers co-develop ways to uh, democratize, uh, democratize the process of asking questions and also build knowledge for action. And I believe traditional publication form will be continuously important and there will be a lot of various ways of doing and sharing research processes and outcomes with communities. To name a few, artivism, a word for art and activism, storytelling, a multimedia project, photo voice, meditation, yoga. Um, so this may not be seen in traditional research in writing form, but it's very exciting that there are so many creative and collaborative ways of co-producing knowledge with the community. So research doesn't need to be a publication, but it, you know, community change it can be outcome of research in liberation psychology. You know, I'm, I'm conscious of our time today and, and I'm so thankful that you, you took this time to share your expertise and your background and, and even some examples in your own personal life too. I so appreciate being able to, to share more about what liberation psychology can be and what it looks like both in and outside of the office and how this might truly impact the field of health service psychology for many years to come. So thank you for, for choosing to share it with us today.
Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Stan. It was my pleasure to have this conversation. Great, great. Well, thank you again. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten, and this has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. As a reminder, all episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as formal clinical advice or continuing education. Thank you.